I'm just talking about all the one another's that we are, are working through. Um, and really my, my heart and vision for this series is just we as a church might be like, approximate everything that the New Testament calls us to be. That these might not just be idle commands out there someplace, but they might genuinely grip us and we might do these things with all of our hearts. Uh, we've looked at three already. We looked at encourage one another. Um, and just the idea of, of how we need to build each other up. This needs to be a place of building and help and encouragement um, at Rock Valley Bible Church. We need to pray for one another. James 5 speaks about that, where we are, are praying on behalf of each other, for one another, with one another. We are serving one another. I talked about that last week. Uh, it just goes beyond just doing physical things around the church. It really goes to a life on life. How is it that you can help and serve one another. Well, today our command is to love one another. And uh, for this command, it, it, it appears at least 16 times in the New Testament. 16 times the New Testament says, love one another. And, and those are just explicit commands. There are plenty of times that the Scriptures would call us to love. Uh, it just doesn't use that phrase, love one another. And so many, many times, I'm just thinking about uh, when we look to pray for one another, there's only one verse that talked about that praying, but there's obviously this prayer all over uh, the Scripture. But here, love, this is like huge. This is vast. And so I'm just going to hit one little slice of what loving one another looks like, and I trust that God will, will use that in our hearts this morning. But of these one another, 16 times, that's more than 25% of all the one another's. Paul uses it. Peter uses it. John uses it. Jesus uses it. Um, but more than just even the one another, there's, there's time even some of the other one another commands are couched in love. Like, for instance, last week we looked at Galatians 5.13. It says, through love, serve one another. So your service to others should be through love. So you need to have love as you serve other people. Um, or Ephesians 4.2 says it this way, bear with one another in love. So your bearing with one another is done in the context and the sphere of love. Or as Hebrews 10.24 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. So we're, we're looking to try to stir people up to love. So love is just all over, even all over these one another commands, even those that don't even explicitly mention love. Um, and it only makes sense, right, that love is so much because love is like the, the predominant command in all the Bible. When Jesus was asked what command is the greatest, you remember what he said, right? He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. In other words, you take all the law of the Old Testament and you can split it right down the middle. You say, these commandments have to do with loving God and these commandments have to do with loving others. And I would contend, you give me a commandment to the law I could tell you whether it's about loving God or whether it's about loving other people. It's really that simple. The whole law comes upon love. And so this admonition to love one another really really falls out really easy. So, so the question really comes, what does it mean to love? Well, in the Greek language, there are four Greek words for love. Uh, the first one not used in the Bible is eros, which is a sexual love. Um, another one is philos, which has to do more with a brotherly love or love of equals. Uh, a third one is storge love, which is more of a parental love or a family love. 
And then you have agape, which is divine love. I've heard it described this way. The first love, the eros, the sexual love, is just a, a take sort of love. Whereas the second and third, the philos and storge, are more a give and take. Uh, I'm in it as long as you're in it. And as long as this relationship keeps going, we're in that together. But agape has been described as really a give sort of love. And that's what we're talking about. That's the predominant verb used in the New Testament, talking about loving one another. It is this agape love. We're talking about self-sacrificial love. We're talking about a love that, that is focused on other people to serve them and to help them and to, to think about their needs. Uh, agape love is about getting your mind off yourself and onto others, seeing what their needs are and then seeking to help fulfill their needs. And the call of us this morning is to love one another is to get our minds off ourselves and to get our minds on other people um, with a self-sacrificing heart, with an interest and intent on the well-being of other people. And might I add also, just with a joy in your heart that that's what you want to do. True love between a husband and wife will be when a a husband truly just cares about the wife self-sacrificially and likes it, likes to see her happy. And when the wife is self-sacrificially loving her husband and wants to see him happy. See, love isn't this um, um, just sacrifice external. There's also this internal joy that must be there as well that, that we go towards. But this, this self-sacrificing interest of others is unknown to the world. A love would be sure to attract attention to the world. And that's what Jesus said. So if you haven't done so already, I want to open your Bibles to John chapter 13. 900 in your pew Bible. John chapter 13. Chapter chapter 13 of John begins the upper room discourse. Begins with Jesus, the, the Passover meal, washing the feet of the disciples. And ends with a high priestly prayer in John 17. And during this discourse, this final teaching of Jesus, really rich, John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Jesus says right here in verse 34, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So let's catch the context of these words. Jesus had just finished washing his disciples' feet. I mean, that that begins in verse 1 when when he, he loves them until the end and he, he got up and he takes the towel around his, his waist and he stoops down he starts washing the disciples' feet. It's a lowly task, but it's a task indicative of the love that Jesus had for his disciples. Just a, a love that gives, that even does the lowliest of things. And when Jesus finished washing their feet, you can see there in verse 12, he says this. He says, do you understand what I've done to you? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. So he says, yes, I'm teacher, and yes, I'm Lord, and it's, it's right that I receive those titles. But Jesus says, receiving those titles, the right way to do that is to, is to bend and wash feet. Servant leadership, modeling that. And he he left this model for us to follow. I mean, that's what verse 15 is about. I have given you an example that you all should should do just as I have done to you. We should serve one another is the principle there. We should serve one another, even lowly, stooping, and washing feet. And catch this, Jesus even washed the feet of Judas. 
his enemy. If you look, um, look at verse 21, we see there that after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit, said, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And then the disciples said, oh, is it me? Is it me? He says, one who dips the morsel the same time I do. And then he says to John in verse 27, what you're going to do, go do quickly. And he went out, of course, and betrayed Jesus. Jesus, even serving his enemies. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies. He remodeled it. Jesus wasn't one who just said, go do this. He was one who says, follow me as I do that. He was even loving his enemies. And then after Judas left, out come these words, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Now Jesus here is giving his disciples a new commandment. We dealt with this in 1 John chapter 2 about this new commandment, what it, what it was, and it's really interesting because this commandment isn't new at all. Um, Jesus said these things after he had spoken about what's the greatest commandment. That's Matthew 22, and so Matthew 26 is the time of the, the Passover meal. So in 22, he'd been asked for the greatest commandment. He says, love God and love others. Love God supremely with all your heart and love your neighbor totally as yourself. That's the greatest commandment. And so now here he comes, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. So you say, what's new about it? Well, it's not new in concept. It's new really in, um, in, in, the, in the depth, the standard of the love. He calls us to love in the same way that Jesus loved. Is really what it is. Um, and how deeply did Jesus love? That's the big question, right? We're supposed to love as Jesus loved. Right? The question, well, how did Jesus love? And then we can look and see how it is that we are supposed to, supposed to love. That's what the Gospels are all about. They tell us of Jesus. They tell us how He loved. They tell us how He walked. They describe the depth of Jesus' love. Even here in John 13, right? verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. He loved them right up until the end. Or even you can say He loved them to the uttermost. He loved them fully. It's the standard of the, the love of Jesus. And you just start working through the Gospels. And you can work through the, the Gospel of John. And so you just, just think about how did Jesus love? Well, he cared enough to Nicodemus to, to talk with him. He cared enough about the woman, with the woman at the well to really care for this woman, the Samaritan woman. He loved her. He, he loved, he t- healed the paralytic at the pool of Bethsaida, or Bethesda, John chapter 5. Or in John chapter 6, he, he loved the, the thousands. He loved the multitudes. He saw them and he had compassion on them. They were like sheep without a shepherd and and, and they were without food, and so he loved them, and he fed them. Or working through John's Gospel, in John chapter 9, Jesus gave sight to the blind. He loved the blind man. Or in chapter 11, he, he raised the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead, and it even says there that he, he loved him. That's why he wept. John eleven thirty five. And the Gospels describe how patient Jesus was with the disciples. Here he was talking about his upcoming death. We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. They're going, to, they're going to whip him and scourge him and crucify him. He's going to die. 
and three days again be raised from the dead. And they're talking about, oh, can we sit at your right and left hand at the kingdom? He's like, you missed it. You didn't even hear what I'm telling you. But he didn't say that. He was just patient with them. He didn't rebuke them. Um, They slept in his hour of greatest need. There he did say, flesh is uh, willing, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He says, you're weak, pray. Directed him towards God and just saw their weakness. They all deserted him. Right? Remember when the, they came out of the clubs? Everyone to arrest him? Jesus looks around and says, Where, where'd they go? And they're gone. Yet Jesus, while he's on the cross, tenderly speaks to John about having John take care of his mother. Didn't rebuke John for leaving him and, and later would restore Peter. The, the patience of Jesus is amazing. And we know that love is patient. And though they argued about who was the greatest, and though they slept in his hour of greatest need, and though they all deserted him, he still loved them. Such is the love of Jesus, such is the, the call of verse 34, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And perhaps the greatest way he loved us is by dying for us, dying for his disciples. He said that in John chapter 15. Verse 12, this is my commandment, therefore, that you love one another as I have loved you. We've heard that before. And then he says this in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did. He demonstrated the greatest love by laying down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for us. And as Jesus willingly laid down his life, no one took it. He says he laid it down willingly. As he willingly was hoisted up upon the cross, it was for us to redeem us from our sins. To change us and transform us. Because he he died the death that we should have died. Because he lived the life that we should have lived. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And His self-sacrifice, His looking out for us, is an example for us. In fact, that's the whole reason why He came, right? God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. And Jesus didn't come kicking and screaming. He came because He loved us. He came because He wanted to, to die for us. Now, certainly there was difficulty in that, but He knew the joy set before Him. And the joy set before Him was more than the pain that He endured and than the shame that He endured And Jesus here in John 13 preps His disciples. His act of love is an example of how we ought to love in all these ways. Having compassion on people and healing them and helping them and serving them and raising them from the dead. Now, of course, we can't do everything that Jesus did. Okay, We can't love like Jesus because we can't heal like Jesus healed. Okay, We can't restore withered hands. We can't raise people from the dead. We can't feed multitudes, okay? Um, We can feed some, though, and we can help some, and we can at least hold the hands of those needing healing and praying for them. And though we can't feed thousands, we might be able to feed some. We might be able to give and help some. And though we can't have the compassion that Jesus had, we can have some compassion for other people. And um, though we can't raise people from the dead, at least we can sympathize perhaps with those who lost loved ones and care for them. And though we won't have the patience of Jesus, at least we can extend our patience even with those who 
see things differently than we do. And though we can't die for the sins of other people, at least we can give our time and effort to help people. So you just you read the Gospels and look how Jesus loved. Just say, you know what, you, you need to seek to approach that. And, and the only reason we do that is we love because, it's, as um, Darren read for us, we love because he first loved us. Now, let me, let me ask you here. Can you imagine the effect of a community of people that did that? That just said, we want to do this. We want to love one another. And praying for God's grace and God's strength to, to help that. Can you imagine the effect that would have on a church? Can you imagine the effect that would have on the world? Jesus imagined it. That's what verse 35 is all about. Right? By this, right? By your loving one another as I have loved you, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our love for one another is a way in which our discipleship of Jesus is made known. And in fact, that was made known in the early church in the book of Acts. Right? When 3,000 people were saved the day of Pentecost, immediately they started loving each other. They were, as Acts 2.42 and following says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the, break, and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. There is loving one another. Having things in common. Sharing. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I do believe that there was a, an incredible revival of love that was taking place among the, the church. As a result of that, God was saving thousands Pretty soon after this, Peter's thrown in jail, preaching the number of the church is, is up from 3,000 Pentecost up to 5,000 and going up. Thousands are being saved. And the unsaved saw what was happening. And, and though they feared, like the, the judgment on Ananias and Sapphira, that God is calling people to holiness, they, they dared not join them, but they held them in high esteem. They saw that something was working there and they said, wow, that's a, that's a, a neat group of people. That's an amazing, committed group of people. And priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. And even they were turning the whole world upside down by their radical love for one another. Because of preaching the apostles, having effect upon people, they're turning from their sin and turning to love each other radically. And the world knew that they were disciples of Jesus. In fact, it was the world's idea that they call us Christians. Acts 11, verse 26. And Antioch is where they were first called Christians. Not by the Christians themselves, but by, by the pagans who saw, oh, they're the ones imitating Christ. Their love was such, an, was such that they saw, oh, they're the Christ ones. And that testimony of, of love transforming the world goes beyond the book of Acts. The early church conquered through love. For 300 years, the church faced persecution. And it was difficult and it was hard. <clears throat> but as a result of that, as the result of the, the many martyrs who died with smiles on their faces, praying for those who are persecuting them after Jesus, the same model there. There's their continual devotion to love one another that prevailed, that changed the Roman Empire into the Holy Roman Empire, that, that transformed this, um, this uh, polytheistic things of gods into a, at least nominal anyway, a Christian empire. Now, certainly not everyone was Christians there, but 
the default religion was transformed from the, the, the Greek and Roman mythology into Christianity. That, and that just didn't happen because people thought it was a good idea. That happened because of the infiltration of the church. Tertullian, the early church father, reported the Romans were amazed at the Christians. They, they looked upon their behavior of this persecuted, pathetic people. And they thought, what? And, they, and Tertullian said that the Romans said, see how they love one another? They are ready even to die for one another. That was the testimony of the Romans of the Christians. Philip Schopf once described, this is a great paragraph in all his works, his works of church history is excellent. You can read them. I read them devotionally from time to time. But, but here's what he said about how Christianity triumphed over Rome and triumphed over their attempt to destroy Christianity. He said this, No merely human religion could have stood such an ordeal of fire for 300 years. The final victory of Christianity over Judaism and heathenism and the mightiest empire of the ancient world, a victory gained without physical force, but by the moral power and patience and perseverance of faith and love. And this conquering is one of the sublimest spectacles in history and one of the strongest evidences of the divinity and indestructible life of our religion. So in other words, the patient enduring of centuries of martyrs who were dying in love made an impact and changed the world. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have a love for one another. We sing from time to time, Lead on, O King Eternal, till sin's fierce war shall cease and holiness shall whisper the sweet amen of peace. For not with swords loud clashing, nor roll of stirring drums, with deeds of love and mercy, your heavenly kingdom comes. And that's, that's the plan of the Christian church. It's through deeds of love and mercy. It's through loving one another God's kingdom comes. See, we, we don't conquer with swords. The church of Jesus Christ does it. We, we don't force people into confession. We don't threaten death if they don't convert like the tenets of Islam would advocate. See, our plan is totally different. We're called to love one another. And as we love one another, the world knows that we are His disciples, according to John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are My disciples if you have a love for one another. And as the world sees what it means to follow Jesus, the discipleship of Jesus, it will be attractive to some. Oh, some certainly will hate it. And will hate it simply because we're following Jesus. But it will be attractive to some. People will know and hear, yes, they're following Jesus. They are a blessed people. I want to join that people. And they'll bow the knee in willing submission to King Jesus. That's how it works. I, I love after church on Sunday when the, the church kids are playing out there and all the adults that in the church, the people in the neighborhood are just watching. What's happening at that church? And they see the love that we have for one another, the care we have where it's families intermixing and, and caring. It's a very profitable thing that people can see that. It is every Sunday. It's a testimony to our neighbor, to our neighbors here at the church. There's a, a song I remember singing um, it's in our hymn, no, maybe we'll sing it sometime, maybe it'll be good to sing today, but we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity will one day be restored, and they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love. Yes, sing it together. 
Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. We love one another. People say, there's a Christ follower. So, the, the, right, the question comes, what about you? What about you in your life? As people look at your life, does the characteristic of love like stand out? Like, whoa, that person just loves. Do people see your love for one another and say, oh, they are disciples of Jesus? There's a challenge. Because there's a, a worldly love. There's love that people in the world have. But Christ calls us to a love that supersedes all of that. NS verse 35 speaks about people seeing your love and drawing the right conclusion. That can be inside the church. That can be outside the church. I mean, it's non-Christian should you see your life of love and say there's something different about you. You're a disciple of Jesus. And people in the church... People should walk into this place, Christians, and just say, yep, I see how they love one another. I, I see that's taking place here. And so they should identify that we are, are Christians, whether they're inside or outside the, the faith. And so, church family, I just exhort you to, to love one another, to genuinely, deeply love one another. And you, listen, you can't escape this command. I mean, Paul spoke about it, Peter spoke about it, John spoke about it. Paul spoke about it lots of different ways. He spoke about love, the importance of love. Peter, when he spoke about loving one another, pushed the application. He says in 1 Peter 1.22, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Um, And he said later in chapter 4, verse 7, 1 Peter, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. That is, stretchingly. Stretch yourself in your love for one another. That is, that is, go beyond what's comfortable. Go beyond and help and serve and give yourself. Serratius Bonar wrote that great hymn, Go labor on, spend and be spent. It's a joy to do the Master's will. I kind of missed it up there, the, exactly how it goes. But the idea is to, to labor and press on. And find the joy in doing your master's will and be strengthened by his grace for that. You can't ignore this command. It's all over. Peter stretches us. John, six times in First and Second John, talk about love one another. Love one another. So how are you doing? Are you loving one another? It's interesting that all of us can feel some conviction because we're finite. And as Andy was talking about, you can't... We can't even know everyone's name here. Well, you can. You can know names of about whatever, a couple hundred people maybe. Um, your relational sphere can be. But once it gets past that, you can't get past it. You can go pretty quickly to the bounds of your relational sphere, just even knowing people and being acquainted with them, much less loving them and totally giving yourself sacrificially to them. And so you just, you just think about, okay, so, so where should your loving be? It should be in your marriage, first and foremost, and strong and devoted and committed there. And then as you can overflow from that, you overflow into your family. And as you overflow from that, I encourage you to overflow from, to your church and to the broader Christian community and then overflow even into the unsaved world where your love is. And, and you, you can be convinced about other people like, man, I haven't loved them. So we're at a wedding Friday night and uh, saw some people we haven't seen for 15 years. And it, it was just, 
You know, they thought when we planted the church, they were with us and thought about coming to be with us at uh, Rock Valley Bible Church. Thought about it. Visited a few times, but stayed at Kishwaukee Bible Church where they were. And, um, and they saw us last night, that Friday night for the first time in 15. So, so what are you doing now, Steve? I'm like, well, plugging away at Rock Valley Bible Church. Oh, you're still doing that. You know, like, that's how disconnected we were. But you just think about it. Well, how have we loved them? Well, not very well because you just got this fear of what you could do. But when you think about how you're doing in love, you can pretty much max it out. But are you maxing it out? Are you maximizing your vapor that you have here on earth? Are you extending yourself in love and service towards others? Are you, are you self-focused? And a great point really to, to look and spend some time about love and how we're doing is 1 Corinthians 13. You can turn there in your Bibles. Um, and we'll just zip through this chapter pretty quick. It is called the love chapter. It's one of those, one of those portions of Scripture that has a name to it, the love chapter. It's read at many weddings, but you know what? It's not a wedding chapter. It's a chapter about a, a church. Very applicable to us. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men, of angels, have not love, I'm a noisy, gone, or clanging symbol. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. So what, what Paul is doing here is he's talking about these, these people who are tremendously gifted in, in ministry or devotion to Jesus. Abilities having tremendous uh, opportunity, tremendous good to people. These wonderful gifts, maybe helping people in the process. He says, but if you've got all those gifts and have not love, you're nothing. It's the importance and primacy of, of love. Verse 1 speaks about the skilled speaker who can hold people in the, the palm of his hand and make them laugh. And tell his sad dog story and make him cry. He can move their hearts to action. But without love, he's nothing. Noisy gong, clanging cymbal, totally out of tune, just, just prang. Or the idea of uh, first half of verse 2. The most intelligent person there is, who knows everything there is to know. Who's memorized the dictionary who's read all of Wikipedia. In fact, he's read all the internet. He knows everything. So just fathom that. Just think about that. There's someone like that, right? Knows all the political positions. Knows all the the social things. Knows all the morality. Knows all the Bible. Knows all this. But he doesn't have love. Paul says he's he's nothing. Or the second half of verse 2 is a man of faith. He can move mountains. He can say to a mountain, you guys know what those are? Okay, <laughs> my poor wife coming from California knows where the mountains are and SR knows where the mountains are. We don't know. The, but you can move mountains, maybe big buildings, right? We can move mountains. We know what mountains are. Move mountains. Can stir people's faith to do great things. But yet, because that love, he's nothing. He's nothing. You think about these televangelists on TV, right? Purporting all this, right? But they have not love. They got nothing. Or, verse 3, speaks about those with great commitment, great concern for poor people. They give away all their possessions to feed the poor. 
They're giving up everything. You can, you can read into this. They also just continued to hard work attacking world hunger or attacking some kind of major problem, but without love, it's nothing. End of verse 3. Great sacrifice. If I deliver up my body to be burned. Paul here is thinking of Christians who are being torched. Burned for their faith. Even if I, if I become a martyr. But if I don't have love, it doesn't count anything. That's how important love is. Great gifts and abilities are nothing without love. Great dedication and sacrifice are nothing without love. That's why Paul told Timothy... 1 Timothy 1.5 The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. It's like, so Steve, I stand up here each week. So what's your aim? You know what? My aim is that you all would love. That's my aim. And I could pierce you into the heart of what God says that He would stir your heart out of out of passion for Christ to see all he's done for you and stir from that and love one another love one another that's what I'm aiming for the aim of my instruction isn't isn't education isn't information it's to stir your heart through the mind of course but to stir it up but like all we do at Rock Valley Bible Church should be aimed towards this it's the goal of our teaching it is the supreme command it is where we need to be if we're if we miss it we don't have love we're nothing Well, love isn't found in speaking gifts or in, in all knowledge or, or giving or sacrifice, right? What, what is love? We see 15 characteristics of love beginning here in verse 4. We're just going to walk through them. Okay, we're going to go through them quickly. And as I go through them, I want you to just think about yourself. Like, okay, so all right, this is what love is. Am I that? And, and the Lord will convict you. And I just say, don't, don't say, yeah, I'm going to try harder. Say, God, give me the grace. Love is patient. All right, we might think of patience just standing in line for a long time. Right? You, you can go to the, the DMV in, uh, in Rockford at noon and you're happy. That's not what patience is talking about. Here we're talking about being slow to wrath, refuse to retaliate, enduring affliction. Not letting your anger come to the surface. Even when you're wronged by others, you are, are patient. That's what 2 Timothy 2.24 says. A pastor needs to be patient even when wronged. The one who's patient will hold his anger even when he endures suffering at the hand of others. And that, of course, is the life of Jesus. He endured great suffering. Held his wrath in. Was patient. He didn't retaliate. Instead, he prayed, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I... Long to gather you in. The hen gathers her chicks, but you are unwilling. That's love. Love's being patient with people. People are abusive towards you or say things or write things or do things. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's a demonstration of good. It's the the good deeds when you you say nice and pleasant things to others, when you do good things to others. Well, patience is, is more kind of on the passive side, just enduring the bad. Kindness is like, like stirring over and, and doing the good, kind, regardless of, of others, whether they are, are favorable towards you or not. Love will just be kind to people. As Jesus said, bless those who persecute you. 
Kindness will never pay back evil for evil. Jesus says, if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, kindness will let him have the coat also. Who enforce you to go to one mile? Jesus says that kindness will let you go two miles. And that's what God does. Listen, God has the sun shine on the good and on the evil. And if you have some righteous anger stirring in you, it's the sinfulness of people. Know that God's righteous anger is far more, and yet God is still kind and gracious to people. He's sending the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And though the world has hated him, still hasn't prevented God from being kind. Jesus said his heavenly Father is kind to ungrateful and evil men. John 6.35 This week our fighter verse for those of you who are, are working at it is Psalm 86. Verses 5-7 through seven. and verse 5, which I've not memorized yet, says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. There's a kindness of God. We're saved because of His kindness. Titus 3, 4, and 5, when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, He saved us. The Bible teaches we're born enemies of God. We're children of wrath, Ephesians 2, 3. We deserve eternal punishment upon our souls, but God didn't return our evil towards Him with evil towards us. Instead, He was kind towards us, being rich in love and mercy and grace. He opened our eyes to see the glories of Christ. Love is kind. Are you kind? Love does not envy. Or jealousy is what some say. It's um, the first two characteristics, patience and kindness, are good positive things. Now we're going to get some negative things here. It's, it's not envy. Um, it's not jealous. It's not envious. Envy and jealousy occurs when you see what someone else has and you wish that you had it, and there's something in you that says, oh, I'm angry that they have it. And that might be a talent, it might be a, a relationship, might be a family, might be some possessions. But jealousy might, or envious might say, oh, I wish I had that. Or, and this is amazing, isn't it? That God's blessing comes upon someone. And because they've been blessed more than you are, you're like, and you're angry with them. You're envious. That's what envious is. But love, right, that's totally thinking about other people will rejoice when things go well for other people. Genuinely, deeply rejoice. But envy brings out the worst in people, whether it's Joseph's brothers, whether it's Daniel's fellow government workers, or even those who hated Jesus. It was because of envy that Jesus Christ was brought down. It says in Matthew twenty-seven eighteen that Pilate knew that it was because of envy that they delivered Jesus over to them. And they reasoned among themselves. Listen to their reasoning, John eleven forty-seven and 48. What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go like this, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. We're not going to lose our position because of him. We're, we're envious and he's going to... No, we need to, we need to not. Love does not boast. Fourth characteristic. It doesn't boast. You might translation here might brag. Or love with the New King James says, love does not parade itself. Not the flaunting peacock I talked about last week. The idea here is literally that of a windbag. One who just puffs himself up and says, look at me. Love is not brag. Love 
does not boast. The idea here is vocally calling attention to oneself. Rather than being interested in hearing about other people, you're more interested in telling about yourself. You ever been around people like that? Talk, 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 talk. All me, all me, all me, all me, all me, all me, all me. That's not love. What is love? Love is asking questions. Love is seeking to hear from other people. Love is being patient with someone who's just talking about themselves. You're like, okay. But the one who's just talking about themselves is not it. So, so check yourself. Are you loving other people? So check yourself at our fellowship dinner today. How, how many people are you asking questions of to find out with them? Here's the object. Get other people to talk and not you. Whoever talks less wins. Okay? For some of you, that's harder. For some of you, that's easier. All right? But really, because ask questions. Show yourself interested. Let them talk. Because everyone wants to talk about themselves, right? You just kind of tap into that thing. And then, ah, you're not loving. <laughs> no, you don't do that. But. but I've done this before and asked questions and asked questions. And they've talked and they've talked. And they've never got around to talk to ask questions of me. That's okay. Love will overlook that. But that's what, what love is. Love isn't promoting yourself. Love is seeking to promote others. I love what Paul says in Romans 12.10. Outdo one another in showing honor to one another. There should be this big contest about outdoing each other in showing honor. That's love. Honoring others. I'll tell you a fun story when we get to honoring one another. Okay, um, number five. Love is not arrogant. It doesn't boast is the idea here. Um, it's not, not quite a synonym here with boasting, uh, but boasting is of the mouth, arrogance is of the heart. So boasting is pretty easy to stop, arrogance is pretty hard. Boasting, you just need to tape your mouth shut, and you're not going to boast. But arrogance is the heart that fuels the mouth. Out of the mouth, out of the heart, come the words. It describes someone who's puffed up and proud inside. The arrogant person looks down on other people. And you can't look down on other people and still love them. You can't do that. Love takes the lower path, looks up towards people. Um, arrogant attitude, my express self, unwilling to serve. I've had people before at, at this church say, oh, I, I'm above that. I'm not going to do that. It's not, it's not working. Task below me. I should stand in front and teach. I shouldn't be vacuuming the church. Kind of the idea I remember someone had. Arrogance is difficult to remove because it deals with our, our pride. Let's just, let's just plead that God would move arrogance from our life. If anyone had the opportunity to boast and be arrogant, it was Jesus. Hey, guys, I'm the King of kings and Lord of lords. I rule the, I created the universe. And yet, he wasn't boasting. He wasn't arrogant of his heart. He could probably have jumped from that temple and would have been rescued. But he knew he wasn't to tempt God. But he said, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. Here was the one who could have boasted, could have been arrogant in his heart, washed the disciples' feet. That's love. Love is not rude. Number six. 
Love's concerned with others and so as not to offend others. It's going to be sensitive towards them. It's the root of why we have manners. Parents, it's why you teach your children manners because that's an issue of love. It's why we, we wait when we're served not to eat because it's loving to other people. It says, I, I'm waiting for you so we can eat this together. In India and Nepal, did they wait for their food once they were given? <laughs> they just ate right away. It's not my problem. I got my food. You don't have yours. It's okay. I'm going to eat mine. That's what they do. But manners, please, thank you, are all about love. We don't interrupt conversations. We open the doors for people because we want them to have the honor of walking through first. And that's Jesus in social settings, never rude. He spoke truth and angered his listeners, but he wasn't, it wasn't his manner of his speech at all. It was the content of his speech. He spoke with love towards other people. Love does not insist on its own way. Number seven here. Love seeks what's good for others, not what's good for you. And that isn't, isn't that the whole idea of um, love and marriage? Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Right? He, he loved the church. He died for the church. Husbands love your wives, your own bodies. You love your bodies. Love your wives like you love yourself. And so there's the idea. It doesn't... Uh, Insist on its own way. It's not about me. It's about you. It's not, not me getting it. It's not, not selfish. And this characteristic really gets the heart of the truest meaning of love than any other characteristic. It's the one who displays an intense interest in other people who loves. Who, who loves it when the welfare of others goes well. Who, who loves it when others are happy. When others are filled with joy. When others have success. You're cheering them on. Why is it the parents go to the soccer games and the basketball games? Right? Because their child is playing and they want their child to do well. That's, that's love. That's parental love. It's approaching this agape love. Because we're in it for our children. We want our children to be happy. We want our children to do well. There's an other-centered love. And that's what Jesus did. He was aimless to help people when He healed them, when He cared for them, when He compassionated them, when He taught them, when He led them. It was for them. It's not for us. You know, the, the shepherd exists to serve the sheep. And that's what He was doing. He died, giving himself sacrifice. And the call comes back to 2 Corinthians 5.15. He died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Love is not irritable. That's the one who's easily offended or easily angered. Right? Just the, the, the balloon that's really probably, you just got to put a little pin on it and it's going to explode. Right? The, the high-tension irritable one. That's, that's what love isn't like that. Jesus washing Judas' feet. What a chance to be irritable. I know that you're going to go out and betray me and I'm going to die because of you, Judas. But he wasn't irritated by that. He just continued to love and continued to wash the feet. And how often are we irritated by the, the sinfulness of others? How often are we irritated by the accidents of others? A child pours over milk on the table Right? He's irritated. Oh, like, why'd you do that? And it's okay to irrit- get irritated at dogs when they do their business inside. Like, that's okay. But when people have a genuine accent, accident, you can't, can't be irritated then. And Jesus, so many unjust things against him. His disciples deserting him, uh, standing for Pilate. He was unprovoked, being slapped, being hit. Being, and, and Pilate was just amazed that he stayed silent because he wasn't irritated. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It's being nailed to the cross. I think he wasn't irritated. It's perfect love of what Christ 
did. So are you easily irritated? Love isn't. Love is not resentful. Number nine, the world is full of hurting people, and, and people hurt us all the time. And it's interesting, I found that out, that, that hurt people hurt people. Those who've been hurt try to hurt and inflict other people. It's like, why are they trying to do that? Well, it's because there's not love there. There's resentment there. We're all sinners. In the fallen world, there will be resentment. But when you realize what God has done for us in Christ Jesus and all who believe in Him, and that our sins, though many, have been forgiven, we should not be resentful, but be forgiving one another. And I just say this, if an unbeliever hurts you, don't be resentful, but just say, God, vengeance is yours, you will repay. And if a believer hurts you, say this, that very sin that he hurt me with is the very sin that Jesus died for, so why am I going after that sin that Jesus already died for? Just trust that God has taken care of it, we'll do it. Let's... Take the next phrases together. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Love rejoices with the truth. Two sides of the same coin. Same, same thing. Right? That it, uh, it rejoices in the truth, not in wrongdoing. Um, but there's a way to rejoice in wrongdoing. Way to rejoice in, in um, things that have gone bad. The, the, why is it that... Um, Somehow I kind of like it when others, when, when my enemies lose, right? When things don't go well for them. It's because I'm not loving, right? When, when someone has hurt you and then something goes bad at them, I'm like, yes! No, that's not loving, right? Because you're not rejoicing at wrongdoing, right? You're not rejoicing, but you're rejoicing with the truth. You're rejoicing when, when things go well. You're rejoicing when, when God's truth is upheld. Well, let's just zip through these last four characteristics. They're bam, 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 all in verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Um, now, these are not absolutes, okay? So, it's not, not talking about bearing all things is impossible. Believing all things means you're gullible. Hoping all things is fanciful. And enduring all things is not viable. You can't, you can't do this, Okay? Um, however, the point's well taken, right? That love will go to extremes to love, protect, believe, and hope in others. We're talking about believing the best. We're talking about hoping the best. We're talking about enduring until the best comes, right? Bearing all things, right? The idea isn't that you're, you're taking everything, but the idea is that there's, there's something happening and you're, you're just enduring it. Is the idea here is that you're, you're going to cover that. You're going, to, you're going to bear that sin. Love covers a multitude of sins. Or, as many of us found out yesterday as we worked on the outside, right? remember, mulch covers a multitude of weeds. That's how it works. So you just look at all this red mulch that we put in here yesterday and just see how it's covered over all that and looks so pretty. Well, that's what love does when it bears all things. It always protects. It's not talking about the bad. It's not speaking about the dwelling. It just when when someone just just bearing it, just enduring it, or, or believes all things. And the idea is here isn't that you're gullible, but the idea here is that when you hear something about somebody, you're instantly like, no, that wouldn't have happened. There's got to be some reason for that, and you believe the best about them. 
rather than instantly believing the worst. Love will believe the worst. You hear something bad about someone, you say, oh. Someone tells you a story about someone, you're like, I don't, I don't think so. And then you go and investigate and you see if that's really the case or not. But love will believe all things. You just, you'll, you'll make up excuses, right? Surely there's some other explanation for what I heard. There's got to be some reason why someone did this, because I know that they wouldn't really do that. That's what believes all things about. Unlike Job's friends who came and saw Job's problems and said, oh, you sinned, Job. There's the problem. And for 30 chapters about trying to find out Job's sins rather than believing all things and saying, hmm, maybe there's another explanation here. Love hopes all things. Just optimistic. Spending, just setting his heart upon the future. Setting his heart upon better days. Endures all things. Like, Things break in life. And, and some people at times are easy to love, and then at times it gets difficult to love. But love will endure all things, even when things look bleak. Love won't lose faith. Love will not refuse, refuse to give up. It'll just continue on. No pain in love is too great to bear. Well, those are characteristics of love. How you doing? Is that true of you? Maybe you can pick one or two of these that you really just pray, God, God, help me in this. Help me in this. Now, one thing I do need to say here is that, is that we're all about trying to figure out how the original hearers heard this. When those in Corinth heard this, it was a rebuke to them. This chapter is a rebuke. It's not a poem of niceties about love. It might sound nice to us, but the church wasn't patient with other people. They were eating first at the, at the love feast that they had. Rather than working through their difficulties, they're taking each other to court. They weren't being kind. They used their liberty to hurt other people. 1 Corinthians 8-12. through 12. Envy marked them. They were jealous over those who had the greater gifts. 1 Corinthians 12. They were proud and arrogant and rude and selfish. They boasted over their favorite teacher in church. 1 Corinthians 4. They fought over their favorite teachers. Easily provoked, held grudges against people. That's why they sued one another. Clear divisions in the church because of lack of love. 1 Corinthians 11. They boasted of their unrighteousness and they didn't like the truth. They were proud of their immorality that exists in, the, in, the, in their church. So they were, they were rejoicing in the wrongdoing. They weren't bearing all things, believing all things, hoping things, and enduring all things. They were wavering in their faith. They were doubting the resurrection. The women unrespectful to their husbands. In a word, Corinthian, those in Corinth were not loving. So we might hear these words as nice poetry, but it's just saying, you know what? One of these may have smacked you. And the exhortation here to love one another, um, I just trust that God will, will help you in that. So I know that 1 Corinthians 13 is a, is a rebuke. L- l- let me just finish with Colossians 3, 12-14. It just speaks about the priority of love and what it does. It just unifies. As Darren said, it was wonderful yesterday. People were out working, just laboring, putting their time. I just think about other people just, they're giving up a lot of time to do what they're doing. I'm really thankful that David, he didn't complain. When I was his age, I was complaining a lot. But he didn't complain. And the non-complaining attitude just created a unity there. And Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, 
which binds everything together in perfect harmony. May that be true of our church. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would know, God, just the the joys of 1 Corinthians 13. And um, God, that may be true in our life and may be real. God, these things are are true of us, that we are are loving indeed. I thank you. I I do, as I look out upon these people. God, I know that we are a church that loves genuinely. Just thank you for the, the people who visit others in distress, who give to others, who serve others, who help others, who encourage others, who call to others. That happens all the time. Thank you for what you're building here. We pray that, as Paul told those in Thessalonica, just as you've been taught by God how to love one another, I exhort you to excel still more. So I pray, God, we would excel in these things that we as a church might know um, harmony. I know the church is a fragile place. Just even hearing this week of a, of a church I thought was invincible, just facing some major difficulties a half drop in attendance in the last couple of years. And God just would pray, God, that you would protect us and keep us harmonious, protect us from those who would cause trouble and strife and division. God, help us to be loving people, bearing and enduring. God, and I pray just even for this fellowship meal that we'll have just here in uh, just 15 minutes or so. God, I pray you'd bless that food to our bodies. I pray that we would have genuine fellowship over the word. Um, God, just not talking about the weather or things or life, but talking about Christ. God, talking about those things that truly unify and, and, and keep us. So, God, we place these things in your hand. I pray that you would work among us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.